This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon. This is Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs. As we speak, the UN Climate Summit COP27 is taking place in Shama Sheikh. But come December, the UN Biodiversity Conference, the 15th meeting of the Conference of, Part- of the Parties or COP15 to the Convention on Biological Diversity will take place. And the main objective of the conference is to adopt something called the Post-2020 Global Biodiversity Framework. Since March this year, we've been collaborating with the good folks from Reef Check Malaysia on a series that we've been calling Biodiversity for Malaysia. It's been a monthly segment which aimed to get everyone on the same page when it comes to all things biodiversity related, especially on issues surrounding the Convention on Biological Diversity post-2020 framework process. We've been talking a lot about the 30 by 30 target and so much more. So today, uh, you know, on this episode, we want to recap, you know, all the things that we've spoken about over these last few months, just to remind folks about what's at stake and why we should care about the upcoming talks. Helping me to do that are Julian Hyde. He's the general manager of ReefCheck Malaysia and Jasmine Mohamed Saad. She's a policy consultant at ReefCheck Malaysia. Welcome both of you. How are you today? Hi, Julia. We're good. Thank you very much. Yep, I'm good. Thank you, Julia. Lovely to have you both back on the show. So yes, um, this our uh, penultimate episode, I guess. Yeah, you know, before we head into uh, COP15 happening over in Montreal. Uh, what is it from in December, isn't it? So yeah, coming up very, very soon. I think just uh, for, for listeners sake, you know, for anyone who is new to this series or who is new to all those terms that I was throwing out just now, can we start off uh, with a reminder of why, let's talk about COP15 first, you know, why it's said to have a key role in halting biodiversity loss, you know, what is this uh, UN Biodiversity Conference all about? Yeah, it's, it's word salad, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so, so the United Nations and the Convention on Biodiversity have attempted various sets of targets to improve the conservation of biodiversity. Unless we forget biodiversity is basically talking about the variety of life on Earth uh, and the complex um, of species and habitats and niches involved in biodiversity is, is very important because it's self-supporting, it creates redundancies and so on. So biodiversity itself is, is critical to the survival of life on Earth. Uh, that's a given. So first we had the Aichi targets in the decade 2011 to 2020. There were 20 Aichi targets which talked about different aspects of biological diversity, biodiversity, and how we can protect them. Um, some of those targets were reached. Most of them were not. Um, and the relevant bodies, so the conference of the parties of the Convention on Biodiversity, are now in the process of negotiating the second, another set of targets, the, the post-2020 Global Biodiversity Framework. Like I said, word salad. Um, but there are, uh, I think, 21 targets in total which are trying to encourage governments to take action to conserve biodiversity, biological diversity. Um that is where we're at. There is draft targets have been published, um, and in various working groups and meetings uh, in the course of the last two three years, those have been debated and discussed and dissected and added to, and subtracted from. Countries have made their own comments on how they think the target should read, uh, but that all of that text now is coming to the final negotiation or what should be. The final negotiations in Montreal in December to agree the final framework for biodiversity conservation for the next 10 years. 
Mm-hmm. And um, we always, we've you know, I've made you do this to death, right? The post-2020 global biodiversity framework. And I'm going to make you do it one last time. Well, at least one more time here. I mean, we know it provides a strategic sort of vision, right? And a sort of global roadmap for the conservation, the protection, um, what else? Restoration, uh, sustainable management of biodiversity and ecosystems for the next decade, as you mentioned, right? I mean, can you help elaborate what else? I mean, yeah, what is it meant to be? I mean, how, how, what does it actually look like? Or what should it look like? Well, um, it depends where you're sitting uh, to a degree. Of the 21 targets, let me give you a couple of examples. The, 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 first, the first section is called reducing threats to biodiversity. So target one is about ensuring that all land and seas globally are, under, are in, included in spatial planning systems. That means we're aware of what their use is, how people are using them, and we're aware of how we can manage them. Target two talks about uh, about uh, restoring 20% of degraded ecosystems. Mm-hmm. Um, I could, you know, the, if we look at the second section, which is about meeting people's needs through sustainable use and benefit sharing, uh, we are one one of the targets talks about um, about uh, ensuring that the benefits of biodiversity are uh, shared with the people who. Who, who own them, if you like, the indigenous peoples and local community who live in the rainforests, who live in these biodiversity-rich areas, uh, making sure that they remain connected to and get the benefits from the commercialization or the use of these things. So mm-hmm. the, 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 the targets talk about these different things. They talk about access to the biodiversity. They talk about protecting and conserving biodiversity. They talk about the business side of biodiversity for the first time there are specific targets in there relating to how businesses should uh, interact with biodiversity. So Target 15 talks about businesses um, should assess and report on their dependencies and impacts on biodiversity. So that's that's pretty new. Mm -hmm. That puts the owners on businesses to say, we accept, we acknowledge, we recognize that we are having an impact on biodiversity and we will report on that and acknowledge it. So if you think of a shipping company, a transportation company, how, what is their impact on biodiversity? You look at a mining company, that one's pretty obvious. Uh, but tourism, you know, tourism is a big industry in Malaysia. How is the tourism industry, uh, a big resort operator, uh, the Jaya, YTL, these guys, how are they interfacing with biodiversity and how are they, what are their responsibilities for, for looking after it? So it's a big topic. It's broad. It covers a lot of different aspects. Mm-hmm. And and I think something that, uh, I mean, we have been talking about a lot, of course, is target three, isn't it? The 30, uh, 30 by 30. So, uh, yeah, we, we want to, <laughs> again, you want to uh, just remind our listeners what that 30 by 30 target is. What is it meant to do? All of that. Yeah, back me up on this one, Jasmine, because I think you know this target better than me. But essentially, 30 by 30 means protecting 30% of all land and sea areas by the year 2030. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's a it's as simple as that, uh, but it's also as complicated as that because you start to say, well, what do you mean 30%, 30% of what? 30% of all of our waters? Surely that's a fairly ambitious target. Um, and so uh, it, it's, it's a very ambitious target. It's scientifically defensible because if you look at the science of ecosystems, uh, scientists talk about protecting 30% of different types of ecosystems. So 30% mangroves, 30% coral reefs, 30% of, of rainforests um, as, as being a scientifically valid number or amount to protect. That's where the 30% comes from. Um, 
But when you apply it to Malaysia, does that mean, therefore, that we have to protect 30% of our seas, all of our seas, for example? And so it, it, it looks like a nice target, but a little bit of a, you know uh, analysis of it starts to raise some questions. But that's what it basically says, 30% of ecosystems by 2030. Mm-hmm. Jasmine, you want to add something to that? Yes, yeah. So that that particular thirty percent number has been uh quite controversial, um, particularly for Malaysia, like what Julian says, thirty um, percent of what. Um, so a lot of the um, development partners or the coalitions are trying to explain and confirm to some extent that it's thirty percent of the global um sea and the land area. So um. I hope that this message will be clearly um, conveyed during the next CBD um, COP15 and further accepted rather than still debating on it and move the conversation into how are we going to pres- uh, preserve that 30%, um, if it's at our level, 30% of our valuable ecosystem. So we need to identify our ecosystems first and then decide the percentage of coverage but that's, that does not mean that we need to preserve 30% of even the ecosystem. So that's depending on the country itself, how much of the percentage that they need to um, protect uh, within that ecosystem. It could be 10 15%. So in our case, it's 10% at the moment for the marine area. And we hope that to see that target to increase um, after this. Yeah. And who decides on these areas, right? So that's that's up to the... <laughs> ah, I see the faces of... <laughs> I don't know. Who decides it... on these areas? Well, so I, I think, as, as Jasmine commented on just now, it, it, the people are starting to understand that 30% globally yeah. means 30% of the world's oceans. Correct. Okay, all of it. So, you know, oceans cover 70% of the world's surface. We need to protect 30% of that. Wow. Okay. So we need a massive, great, big marine protected area in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, the Atlantic Ocean, the Arctic Ocean, and that'll probably do about 30% of the globe's oceans. Mm -hmm. So easy, right? So where does that leave Malaysia? You know, what is our contribution to that 30% globally? And and, and in in my opinion, and I get in a lot of trouble for saying this, but I'm going to say it again, a lot of Malaysia's EEZ, our exclusive economic zone, our waters... A lot of that doesn't have a lot of biodiversity habitat. Because we think in terms of habitat, coral reefs, mangroves, seagrass beds, and so on. It's that habitat we need to protect because that is create that, that's the breeding ground, that's the feeding ground for a lot of marine species. It's the coastal protection. It's where the small-scale fishermen are. So it's those it's those habitats that are particularly important, in our opinion. And when you look at the east coast out to the South China Sea, it's a sandy bottom at 50, 60 meters. There's not a lot of Habitat there. Yes, there is a fishery to manage, but in terms of habitat to protect, it's not much there. So why protect that? (laughs) So what we're saying is acknowledge the 30% global target. It's a good aspiration. It's solid. It's something we can sign up to. It's aspirational. It's scientifically uh, valid. And then decide for yourselves, Malaysia, what, what do you want to do? So first of all, as Jasmine said, where are these ecosystems? Right. When we say 30% of what, that's what we're saying, 30% of coral reefs. Oh, okay, fine. We'll protect 30% of coral reefs. Uh, where's the map? We don't have a map. Right? 30% of, of seagrass beds. Great idea. Where are the seagrass beds? So let's find out where they are and then protect 30% of those. Now, that's not 30% of our EEZ, but it is 30% of our important coastal ecosystems. 
And that's what we need to protect anyway. Because as it stands, uh, plenty of these areas, like as you mentioned, reefs, um, <clears throat> marine ecosystems are not protected, right? Yeah, the islands off the east coast of Peninsula Malaysia, so Red Ang, Perhenti and so on, they are, the waters around those islands are protected, uh, some of the islands off the west coast as well. Sabah has a number of parks, so uh, around uh, Tun Mustafa is the largest one in the north of Sabah. Uh, Sarawak is also proceeding with establishing marine protected areas. Luconia Shoals is, the, I think, the second largest in Malaysia. Um, but it's by no means all of the, you know, it's not the whole picture. There are other areas uh, that need to be protected. There are known coral reef areas, but there are also unsurveyed reefs out there. We haven't even looked at them properly yet. And these are important for connecting different ecosystems together. Mm -hmm. So what we have at the moment, the, the, the marine parks in Peninsula Malaysia, for example, it's a good start. It's the no-take zones that are protecting the basic fundamental building blocks. But we need to start to join these things together and, and, and expand our protected areas. And Jasmine talks about, um, you know, about the connectivity areas. Um, Jasmine, you want to you wanna talk about that? Yeah. So um, MPA is just one of the areas. Um, to some extent, they are managed independently. Um, so once there's, for example, the fishery stocks most out of the MPA zone, then it's free for all. But there are a lot of science, um, sciences to back up the connectivity between the migra migratory um, path between um, this uh, fish, for example, tuna. So um, we need to also protect these migratory routes. Um, more, more, more research needs to be done in how they move, where they move, and when. Uh, so that we can plan, um, but also it comes to who's going to manage those area, that migratory route that, that does not fall within the ambit of MPA, Department of Fisheries. So uh, the governance question comes in, the institutional question will come in and become a bit more complicated. So that's what we are trying to um, assess first, the challenges in terms of how are we going to manage these areas and I know uh, Julia is a bit apprehensive of the OECM idea. <laughs> um, it's, it's like a compromise between a totally protected area and uh, to some extent um, there's some resource utilization exercise done in this so-called migratory routes or even the coastal areas. Um, so there's a lot of discussion, conversation that needs to be um, uh, planned between the state government themselves and with the federal government and all the other in-between relevant agencies. So um, it might sound cliche, but we need to talk to each other more frequently and more effectively. <laughs> I think that's something that's come through in all our conversations, right? The lack of conversation <laughs> on conservation, <Yes. laughs> especially on marine conservation. And just to be clear, you know, for folks who don't know, OECM stands for Other Effective Area-Based Conservation Measures, yeah? Yes, yeah. Okay, all right. So we were talking about management. I mean, what would, what would good management look like? What would effective and also equitable management look like? One of the threads that's coming out very strongly from the current round of discussions on the post 2020 Global Biodiversity Framework, is this question of what's called IPLCs, which stands for Indigenous Peoples and Local Communities. Mm -hmm. So it's very easy to, for people to dump on government and say, oh, you're not really doing a very good job managing things. But as we've just explained, this is a very complex field. You know, you've got multiple jurisdictions, you've got different state, federal government agencies. It's, it's complicated. Um, 
One of the so so you know they're they're doing the best they can. We've got the marine parks, uh, and and um, so we're part way down the route for what needs doing. Um, one of the things we don't do very well though is involve local communities in managing resources, uh, and this is where the IPLC thing comes in. Take an island like Tierman Island. Um, you know it was established as a marine parks nearly thirty years ago, uh, but there hasn't been a lot of consultation with the locals on how it's managed and what the management goals are. And there's a lot of evidence now. I mean, overwhelming amounts of evidence basically say that if local people are involved in management, management will be better. You know, you will get better conservation outcomes. And so one of the things that we're definitely strongly supporting is the idea of finding a role for indigenous people, local communities in the management process. Um, so effective and equitable management, as you said, would look like Similar to what Tierman is now, there's a management agency, the Marine Parks uh, section of DOF. But why not have a quarterly meeting, sit down with the local community and a formalized thing and say, okay, here's the tourism representative and here's the tour company representative and here's this guy. And sit down and have a formal conversation about how the Marine Park is being managed, how it's impacting people's lives on the island and what can be done to reduce those impacts or to help to improve the management so it benefits the local people as well. Mm-hmm. And you've got, I mean, you've got Alvin, uh, who we've spoken to on this uh, series as well, you know, working over in Tiroman and uh, sort of working on these sorts of things as well, isn't it? Yes. So we are trying to make a start on this sort of thing. Um, and Alvin has been on the island for a good number of years, now, I think eight years. Mm. Um, and I think we have been able to show that community participation and management can work. Right. So we've set up the TMM Marine Conservation Group, which now has 70 members. Yeah. And these are all local islanders who are trained to conduct reef check surveys. They're trained to conduct ghost net removal, a whole range of conservation activities, um, which uh, which they they're interested to participate in. So uh, two years ago, the Department of Fisheries introduced its reef care program, which TMCG fits very nicely into because the reef care thing gives some responsibility for reef management to local communities. It's a little bit informal. So we've got an informal Tierman Marine Conservation Group. We've got the informal reef care program. Why don't we all sit down and say, how can we make this the management body for the island Mm -hmm. and make it really participative, make sure everybody has a say uh, and that we've got that participation working working better. So we're it's so frustrating. We're almost there. Right, we're so close to having a good, strong participatory management system. It's just kind of sitting down with the various authorities and saying, "Okay, here are the rules and regulations. That's how we're going to do this. Let's have our first meeting." Okay, I just wanted to bring that up because, uh, yeah, there is sort of like a a model in place, I suppose, right? That yeah, that could easily be replicated, and yeah, just to get over a few, I suppose, uh, hurdles, right, before it can be really, really um, effective. No, no, there is a model, and and I think Tierman is a good model. I, but I always hesitate. As Jasmine said, I'm a bit I'm a bit hesitant about the whole OECM thing right. because there's a legal framework for Tierman Marine Park. It's in the Fisheries Act. There's a legal management agency. It's the Department of Fisheries. We're trying to introduce community management into this scheme. I worry about how all of that will work. Jasmine, you can answer this question. How will all of that work? in the OECM scheme because there's no legal background, there's no formal management entity. Uh, and, and and that's where the, the there's, I have a concern about the, the OECM field. Mm-hmm. Maybe Jasmine can respond to that one. 
<laughs> so, um, yeah, there is already conversation on OECM on the terrestrial side of things. And even then, they are not very sure how uh, it would be managed uh, given the current legal and institutional frameworks. Um, same with the marine side of things. Um, but uh, I'm a bit um, more optimistic <laughs> in terms of why not we open start that conversations rather than not doing anything at all, see if it's, it's a possibility. Um, of course, this is this requires a bigger, bigger exercise, a revamp, um, so to speak, of the institutional um, arrangements of the country. But it can be done um, if if everybody's on board, um, because we can't really just um, forever just looking into the MPAs and not considering the connectivity of um, the, the, the species um, and the other um, habitat that might require uh, protection, but uh, do not have at, at the current moment. Like Julian said, we have not yet mapped uh, most of our coral reefs, so there might be more valuable coral reef area that we might not know of. So I think the first step, uh, even before we start talking about OECM, is to identify where uh, these biodiverse areas are located in the country. Okay. All right. Uh, let's just go for a quick break. When we come back, uh, let's talk about sort of like international adoption of the uh, 30 by 30 targets. I'm speaking today to Julian Hyde. He's the general manager of Reef Check Malaysia. Jas Jasmine Muhammad Saad, she's a policy consultant at Reef Check Malaysia. It's another episode of Biodiversity for Malaysia. We're doing a recap of everything ahead of COP15, which is taking place next month, uh, the Convention on Biological Diversity uh, next month over in Montreal. We'll have more after this quick break. You're listening to Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Welcome back. This is Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs. It's another episode of Biodiversity for Malaysia, a series that's been running all the way since March. Can you believe it? Since March of this year, uh, where we want to get everyone up to date and on the same page on all things biodiversity related, especially on issues surrounding the Convention on Biological Diversity post-2020 framework process, 30 by 30 target and more. COP15, uh, the uh, conference of parties to the Convention on Biological Diversity is taking place next month. We're just sort of doing a recap of everything we've discussed this past year. So, uh, you know, before the break, of course, we were doing our usual. We were explaining what the 30 by 30 target is, you know, what is happening, you know, what is set to take place uh, at uh, COP15 over in Montreal next month. Now, I just want to talk a little bit about international support uh, for the 30 by 30 target. So we know there's something called the High Ambition Coalition, right, for nature and people. That's sort of an intergovernmental group of, uh, what is it, more than 100 countries um, that, that are championing yes. this global deal, right? I mean, uh, talk to me a little bit about that. So there are, there are actually two of these international groupings, the, the High Ambition Coalition, you mm -hmm. mentioned, and also the uh, Global Oceans Alliance. Okay. Uh, they're both really attempting to do the same thing, which is to to encourage governments around the world to support the 30 by 30 target uh, specifically for, uh, well, in our case, specifically for marine, but uh, in general, um, for, sorry, in general for the oceans. Okay. Um, there, yeah, there are 100 plus members. Um, and the idea is to, to try and um, get people to, have a common voice. So one of one of the challenges with the with the 30 by 30 target has been the original three line target during the working groups this year turned into like a 30 line target because everybody wanted to have their say and their little bit and they wanted to express it this way. The these these two alliances are coalitions are trying to gather common ground 
and say to people, look, don't try, don't fight for your own version of this target. Let's agree a common version that we can all sign on to, uh, and 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 so that the the benefit would be a kind of a shared political commitment on this international stage, rather than just looking for local benefits. So that that's that's what these coalitions are trying to approve, trying to trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. And has there been, I mean, I, I mentioned for the uh, high ambition coalition, but has there been a lot of support for both coalitions? And I mean, are countries signing up to it? Uh, how about Malaysia? So um, Malaysia has not signed up to it yet. Um, if I understand correctly, discussions are still ongoing, but I, I honestly don't know the current status of that. Okay. Um, our neighbours have signed up. Philippines has recently signed up. Um, Thailand has joined. Uh, I think Vietnam is in the process of joining. So there's various, you know, lo- various countries in Southeast Asia, our, our immediate neighbours, that are looking at this and saying, yes, this this is this is a good thing. Um, I'm not I'm not trying to put pressure on Malaysia. They they don't have to sign up to one of the international coalitions in order to back the target. Um, it would be nice, I think, if we could get the government to say, yes, we support this aspiration. We understand the scientific case for protecting 30% of ecosystems. And here's our plan for achieving that in Malaysia. So um, it, we find ourselves in an interesting situation, you know, that we we kind of believe in the 30 by 30 target. Uh, when I say we, I'm talking about ReefJet Malaysia. Mm-hmm. Um, and we would like to see support for the target here. As Jasmine mentioned, the national target is currently 10% of marine areas protected, which I think, you know, if that 10% covers the 30% of the ecosystems that we need to protect, that's that's job done, right? So so I think there's perhaps some of the confusion is just due to lack of communication. As Jasmine said earlier on, people need to be talking to each other more uh, and more often. But yes, to answer your original question, there is international support for the target uh, maybe Malaysia needs to look at whether or not it wants to be part of those groupings. Jasmine, anything you want to add? You know, I mean, what would you say is the point of joining one of these coalitions? For Malaysia, of course. Right. Um, I guess one of the main issue of um, signing off on the post-2020 Global Biology Framework would be the funding of all of these targets, the aspiring targets. So, um I guess one of the main attraction to the coalitions would be the shared um, resources that the members would um, enjoy in terms of um, getting connected to uh, various sources of funding to implement their national level activities. Uh, Having said that, um, it doesn't mean that if countries, for example, Malaysia did not sign on to this, uh, Malaysia would not receive adequate funding. Uh, We are not saying that. Um, probably the journey to gain resources would be a bit easier if we would uh, join the coalitions because uh, there's a lot of private sector um, funders um, in the coalition as well um, that that would might um, make it easier to connect with if um, countries are interested too. But uh, we do have all sorts of funding uh, sources outside these coalitions. Um, it just needs more as you didn't say, connectivity and um, commitment from the countries itself because um, it getting the funds requires some sort of commitment from the countries, the receiver as well. Um, so, yeah. So I guess that's one of the uh, perks of joining the coalition. 
Mm-hmm. And on the topic of funding, right? I mean, that of course is a challenge. I mean, we see it in any of the talks, isn't it? We're seeing it in the climate talks. We're see. Uh, I think we'll see. We are seeing it in the biodiversity talks as well, right? Uh, what sort of gap are we looking at? You know, when it comes to funding uh, for, I guess, for biodiversity. Maybe maybe we can focus on you know what you guys um, are more familiar with, right? So coral reefs and things like that. Yeah. So in the coral reef field, the, the, there is a, a relatively new institution, the, the Global Fund for Coral Reefs, which was established just a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And they talk about funding for marine conservation being at about one-seventh of what is required. I, I can't remember the numbers, but it's in the hundreds of millions of dollars. Sure. Um, and so like we're spending $200 million a year. We need to be spending $1.4 billion a year. It, it, it's of that sort of magnitude. And now, as Jasmine mentioned just now, there's a lot of corporate funding available. How do we unlock that? There's a lot of international funding available. How do we unlock that? Um, perhaps being a member of one of the coalitions would help. I don't know. It's As she said, it's not intended to be coercive. Join us and get money. Don't join us and go without, right? The, mm. the, whether or not you join one of the coalitions, funding is a big challenge. This is, yeah, and, and it's something that I think people are beginning to become more aware of. When we see, we're seeing increasing climate change impacts and flooding in Pakistan, just for example, right? And one of the uh, speakers at COP27 was talking about, you know, you, the developed world, have, are responsible for all of this. You know, your industrial revolution started 250 years ago. You, you're responsible for the CO2 in the atmosphere today, and yet we're the ones that are suffering for it. So you have, you know, you've got to, we need the financial support. And it's completely understandable. Um, and as I think we've said on this uh, with, in this conversation before, you know, we've we've got all of the biodiversity. Malaysia is one of the twelve, with all the twelfth most mega biodiverse country. And you all want us to protect that biodiversity. Okay, well, pay us to do that. So this is where the, the question about funding gets very complicated. Um, yes, there's a funding gap. Malaysia can't afford to protect its biodiversity itself. So how is it going to fund that? Um, and I think. This increasing focus on businesses and business participation in biodiversity conservation is perhaps one way to unlock some of that funding. Mm-hmm. And there's a target, right, that sort of like can encourage businesses to to play a part in this. That's target 15. Uh, would you want to talk about that? Yeah. <clears throat> um, I don't think this has been part of the uh, Convention on Biodiversity in, in previous rounds. I don't think it was part of the IHE targets, but... The, the t- Target 15 talks about businesses assessing and reporting on their dependencies and impacts on biodiversity um, and talking about reducing negative impacts by at least half mm. right? and increasing positive impacts. So think of a business sector, um, semiconductors, what impact do they have on biodiversity? I don't know. I'm not sure about that one. <laughs> uh, but tourism industries, what impact do they have on biodiversity? Because everybody does transportation, tourism, semiconductors, electronics, whatever it is, at some point somebody's having an impact on biodiversity somewhere. And this this idea of this target now, bringing business into the fold, saying you need to reduce your impacts on biodiversity. So they're going to start saying, well, how do we do that? Maybe contributing towards the conservation programs, mangrove conservation, seagrass conservation, whatever, is one way that they can do that. Uh, I think from the work that we've been doing over the last few years, I think a lot of corporations want to participate. They want to say, you know, we want to, we want to get involved in this. But if they are a manufacturing company in a, in a light industrial sector, take, take, take cosmetics, for example, mm-hmm. right? There's plenty of cosmetics companies out there. 
that um, that that use natural resources, right? Some of them use um, marine resources, but it's not a heavy manufacturing. There's no there's no big pollution. There's no big use of raw of of of, uh, of, of heavy metals, for example. It's you know they're not a big mining operation, so they want to they want to participate. But it's like, well, how do we actually reduce our impact on biodiversity? Because we don't have that great an impact, and you know, we've made our supply chains as efficient as possible. So perhaps one of the ways for them to get involved is to join existing conservation programs and say, we're going to support that. We're going to finance that. Um, that there are increasing numbers of these around now, these these sort of platforms and programs. Um, Oceana is just one of them. For example, it's, it's a gathering of NGOs and they are bringing private capital and they're saying, we're going to invest in schemes that will make a, make a financial return, largely for local communities. Hmm. But this idea of private sector funding joining with public sector funding and these blended finance mechanisms is 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 kind of new, and a lot of people still struggling to get their heads around it. But it creates a way to unlock private finance into biodiversity conservation. So you get you know you get the government puts in twenty percent, or a development bank like Asian Development Bank puts in twenty percent of the cost of a project. And that's the risk finance taking part of. And then you bring other funders in and say, okay, private sector funding can fill that gap. Um, it's a developing area. Okay. But like I said, Target 15 brings businesses in specifically, explicitly for, I think, for the first time, which is a, good, a big step forward. Mm-hmm. And they should be part of the conversation, I feel. Um, yeah, but let's just uh, just moving on to some other important targets, right? I think uh, you guys have mentioned to me before target two is important, uh, also target seven, target 21. Would you mind uh, elaborating on what these different targets are? Well, I'll, I'll talk about target two because it's the one I know I'm, I'm most familiar with. I'll let Jasmine talk about target 21. Um, but um, Target, yeah, target two is an interesting one. It talks about ensuring that 20% of degraded ecosystems are under restoration. And my question is, well, where are the degraded ecosystems and what's 20% of them? So once again, it's a, as, as many of these targets, they're nice written down, mm-hmm. but they're, when you start to look at them and try and interpret them, uh, you, 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 you come across some problems, you know, so we're, well, okay, yeah, we're happy to to restore twenty percent of our great great ecosystems, but first of all, we've got to find out where those uh, where those twenty percent are. Um, so, so that's that's uh, that's one of them. Um, target seven is uh, an interesting one for us because it talks about reducing pollution. So, one of the big challenges facing coral reefs uh, in Malaysia, for example, out on the um, east coast islands. Uh, is pollution largely from uh, sewage treatment systems, yeah. mm-hmm. um, or and also from waste and in, 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 inadequate waste management? So this talks about reducing pollution from all sources to levels that are not harmful to biodiversity, um, and it includes reducing nutrients lost in the environment. So that's talking about sewage pollution and so on. And we talked before about you know the recent example in the Prentian Islands of people getting sick, and it's probably from sewage pollution in the water. So it's harmful to human health. It's harmful to the ecosystem. So um, this some, something when we talk to our government, friend, our friends in government about the, the, the conventional biodiversity and the, and the and the global post global post twenty twenty global biodiversity framework, still a mouthful. They're like, yeah, everybody's focused on target three. What about all of those other targets, mm. right? So there's target two, target seven. That's just two of them, 
which are not really getting a lot of coverage, and yet they are um, very important. Um, Jasmine's interested in the IPLC question. Jasmine, you want to comment on that target 21? Yeah, target 21, looking at the equitable and effective participation um, in decision-making related to biodiversity by Indigenous people and local communities, um, looking at respecting their rights over resources, their lands, territories, as well as women, girls, and youth. So um, it is also quite... I would say the first, or not not the first, but more active um, target that has been discussed in the previous meetings um, following up the COP. Um, so, for example, in terms of gazetting MPAs, right? Um, so they are encouraging uh, the processes, the consultation to also involve the local communities from the very start, uh, so that they can express their views, their concerns. And how are they going to continue their livelihoods if the area um, are being gazetted as no-tick zone? Um, so all this needs to be um, put into a proper mechanism so that um, everybody's get involved, everybody's voice are heard, uh, not just a top-down approach as uh, business as usual. Um, it's just that we have, I do not know, but I don't think we have a um, formal mechanism in terms of how are we going to um, include the voices of the local communities because we are so used of doing things involving just the government agencies to some extent now NGOs uh, who are also bringing in the voices of the local communities. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that in the future, um, whatever decision that we are going to make um, that would affect the livelihoods of the communities, um, we need to put them into the first, very first process, the step um, in terms of making the finance decision as well and also contribute to um, alternative um, income if their main livelihoods are going to be affected. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm hoping to see um, substantial decision in COP15 um, that would involve a more clear way of how are we going to implement Target 21. Um, in the next 10 years up until 2030. Okay. All right. And mm. I guess we're just running out of time, but, you know, if, if you could have the years uh, of, of our leaders, right, or, or the decision makers, right, what would you like to say to them? You know, I mean, what, yeah, what are your hopes? Uh, yeah. And, and what is your final message, I suppose? Yeah. Right. I, I guess, first of all, we, want, we would like to see Malaysia to see, um, to support the 30% aspiration. Um, and I hope, there's a clear understanding during COP15 that it is a global um, aspiration and then we, we need to um, have a more detailed conversation after that. Um, and also um, look at our own resources. What can we protect? Where where it is? And uh, put in the proper mechanisms in and do it our way, but um, be, be aware of the sciences behind it and the community's needs um, on the uh, same resources as well. And I think with that, you we it, it's something Jasmine mentioned earlier on. People have got to talk to each other more and more often. So if we're going to effectively protect these connectivity corridors between islands, for example, right? Who's in charge of that little bit of real estate? You know, is it state waters? Is it federal waters? If it's close to the coast, so I think we need a broader conversation. Mm. Uh, and I talked earlier on about community participation. Yeah, but what about state government participation? You know, where, where do they come into this? Because land matters in Malaysia are 
state are a state uh, state matter. So if you're talking about managing an island, you're not actually managing the island, you're just managing the water around the island. So let's get state involved in the conversation and manage the land and the water at the same time. And another very topical example is this, this controversy about a new possible resort on Prahentian Island. So you've got an island that is a marine park, right? The donut around the water is the marine park. There's a development coming up on the island which is going to have impacts on the marine ecosystem. And yet, where is the conversation between state government, which is land matters, and federal government, which is uh, marine conservation matters? So I think we have to see greater coordination, cooperation between government agencies. But finally, let me make a plea for IPLCs, indigenous peoples and local communities. If you are going to establish a protected area, you're going to change the way it's managed. I think we definitely need better mechanisms to involve the voices of local communities so that their interests are at least take at least taken into account. You know, oh, we're going to make this a protected area. Yeah, but I live here and I live off this land. Well, you can't do that anymore. You have to leave. Yeah, but I, I, we can't do that anymore. So I think we need to find mechanisms that will give a way to include local communities. Okay. All right. Well, lots at stake, uh, you know, over in, in Montreal for, I think, 7th to the 19th of December. That's uh, The CBD is happening. Um, the COP15, sorry, is happening. So let's see what happens there. Um, but, you know, for anyone who has been listening or who has missed some of the episodes, you know, just uh, search for our series. You know, it's just called Biodiversity for Malaysia. It's on our Earth Matters podcast. Uh, get up to date. Find out why this is important to you as well. It will all, you know, everything, all these decisions will come back to impact us. So do, you know, listen to those, uh, you know, just to find out more about it. If you miss any part of today's conversation, you can also download that podcast at bfm.my slash earth. It will be on the BFM app. My thanks again to both my guests. I've been speaking to Julian Hyde, the General Manager of ReefTrack Malaysia, Jasmine Mohamed Saad, Policy Consultant at ReefTrack Malaysia. This has been Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.